Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. We spent the last three weeks talking about the wonder of Christmas, not the spectacle of decorations or the holiday parties or the amount and size of gifts under a tree, but the hope, peace, and joy to be found in this season. If you're familiar with the historical church calendar, you know these as the themes of Advent. But if you're not, your idea of Advent may be tied to calendars filled with chocolates. Advent is a season of expectation and anticipation leading into the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And today we finish with the wonder of love. It's interesting to notice that in December, many of us go the extra mile to extend love to the people around us, to family, friends, coworkers, even strangers. That is, unless they take too long ordering their venti peppermint mocha half-calf, extra hot, extra whipped cream in the drive-thru, and love can be all too quickly thrown aside. But love is even expressed in the stories told at Christmas. Is there a more fantastic love story told than by the Hallmark Christmas movies? You know, someone usually has to travel somewhere, back home to a small town. There's a chance encounter with a, a first love or a long lost friend who just so happens to be single. They begin to enjoy each other's company and a spark is ignited. Then there's that moment where their eyes meet and they pause before one of them awkwardly says, I should go. They finally start to to lean into their unexpected love, but get interrupted just at the moment before they kiss. Not long after, one of them overhears part of a conversation or observes some romantic looking situation and thinks, this was never going to work out. I should just go back home and, and give up my dream of love and happiness. But before all is lost, one finds the courage to tell the other how they feel. And finally, they embrace their love on Christmas Eve, looking toward the days and years together on the farm or in the country store or the restaurant, and they kiss, surrounded by the entire population of the town. I mean, am I wrong? (laughs) But here's where we're headed and what I hope you internalize. The Christmas story at its core is a love story. The love of a heavenly father pursuing his sons and daughters. You've most likely heard 1 Corinthians 13 called the love chapter. But I wanna suggest that the actual love chapter of the Bible is found in 1 John chapter four. We're gonna rest there for the next few minutes. So if you have a Bible, physical or digital, Open it with me to 1 John chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, start at the end and go back a few books. It's believed that the Apostle John, who spent three years as a disciple learning from Jesus, wrote these words. We'll start reading in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world. There's the Christmas story. An angel appears to Mary, telling her she will conceive and have a baby, and his name will be Jesus. Angels appear to shepherds in a field, announcing the birth of the Messiah, the anointed one. Magi travel a great distance following a star, looking for the newborn king. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John says, this is how God showed his love. Or some translations of the Bible say, God made known or displayed his love. The word means to come out into the open, to to be made public. How did he do it? He sent his son, born in obscurity to humble parents from a nowhere hometown. Nothing in a worldly way of thinking indicated anything other than an average life for this child. And in showing love, God gives. You see, Real love is never passive or inactive. How would that kind of love work for you if you're married or in a relationship? Here are some indicators of passive or inactive love. Communication is mundane. There's there's no conversation of meaningful things. Intimacy isn't what it used to be or, or it's non-existent. Date nights are scarce. You never argue or you always argue. There's no effort being put in. You avoid each other. You're you're constantly on the offensive or the defensive. You're, You're critical of each other. But a love that is demonstrated is irresistible. There's a a few Greek words used to describe love and they imply different emotions or experiences. John uses the word agape a love that impels the sacrifice of self for the benefit of the object loved. It's a love awakened by a sense of value in the object loved. It speaks of compassion, of of kindness, of, of unselfishness. Have you ever heard the story, the short story, The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry? It tells of a a young, financially struggling couple who had only two possessions of value between them, Della's long, beautiful hair and Jim's heirloom pocket watch, passed down from his grandfather. With, With no margin in their budget to buy each other gifts at Christmas, they both make plans unknown to the other. In the story, Jim comes home, walks in the door, and is stunned at what he sees. His wife's beautiful long hair is gone. Della responds, I sold my hair so I could give you a gift. Jim hands her the gift he had purchased. She opens it to to find a beautiful set of combs she had been wanting, but they couldn't afford. It will grow back, Della says, as she hands Jim the gift she purchased. He unwraps a a small box containing a gold chain to go with his precious watch. 
Jim sits down on the couch and his hand behind his neck and simply says, I sold the watch so I could give you the combs. <laughs> That's sacrificial love. John says, this is love. Not any kind of love, but a divine love that's pure, undeserved, unearned, unexpected, and unending. And notice, this love did not start with, with you or me. It started with God, initiated on his part. Not that we loved God, John says, but that he loved us. My mother-in-law pointed out to me a few weeks ago that I didn't finish the story of God's promise of hope to me during, during a very difficult season of life, that he would bless my latter years greater than the former. Part of that promise was fulfilled in my love story with my wife, Jamie. Thanksgiving 2017, I sent her a Facebook message asking her out. Smooth, classy, I know. I had never met her, but I knew I had to. When we finally spoke over the phone, we made connections of, of common friends and, and planned a time to meet. And as I thought of that conversation the next day, I recalled one of those friends four years previous asking if I wanted to meet a friend of hers, her hairstylist, who had asked her about me. I was in a season of, of healing and, and said it just it wasn't the right time and nothing was ever said again. That was Jamie, four years before I reached out to her. So there could be some debate over who initiated our love. But John makes it clear that there's no question about who made the first move with the greatest love you will ever experience. God loved first. He initiated, not because we're lovable or deserving. Quite honestly, the opposite is true. God chose to pursue a world of prodigals who have turned away from his love. John tells us elsewhere in the gospel that bears his name that light, referring to Jesus, has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. God loved first and sent his son, John says, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came to save you from your sin. Other Bible translations use the word propitiation, which means to appease an offended party's wrath in order to gain goodwill. It's a gift or payment offered to satisfy the anger of an offended person. I read the story of Neil and Sally this week. Not a real couple, but an illustration of propitiation. Neil and Sally had recently started dating and he had a bit of a wild reputation. One night, Neil began drinking at a party and continued until they left. As they drove home in the early hours of the morning, he lost control of the car, hit an embankment, and it rolled several times. Several hours later, Neil awakes to find himself in the hospital, his head and body aching as he tried to remember what happened. How Sally, he asked the doctor, and is told she had been paralyzed in the accident. 
He wants to see her, but she refuses. A year later, Neil receives a letter from Sally's lawyer. She's bringing legal action against him due to his choices and actions that left her with a permanent disability. Now, there are three factors at play here. First, there's an offense. Neil acted recklessly and irresponsibly when he decided to drink and drive. Second, there's an offended person, Sally. She's angry, and rightfully so. Third, there's an offender, Neil, and he knows he's to blame. He's deeply sorry for what he's done, but that won't change and can't change the fact that Sally is paralyzed and her lawyer is taking him to court. Well, Neil hires a lawyer to talk with Sally's lawyer to see if there's a settlement possible. The discussion centers on one question. What will it take to satisfy Sally? She's the offended party. Suppose the, the lawyers identify an amount of money acceptable to Sally. The payment would be a propitiation offered to satisfy the offended person's anger and the need for justice. Now let's make it personal. Your sin is the offense. You are the offender and God is the offended party. The question is, what will satisfy God? And this is exactly what John is telling us. Jesus, his one and only son, who was born so that he could die as our propitiation, as our atoning sacrifice, taking on the penalty of sin, becoming your substitute, and assuming the debt of your sin. Interestingly, John's reference of one and only is also used in another familiar scripture he wrote, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you so much, he sent his son into our broken, messed up world for our broken and messed up condition to redeem you and restore a relationship with you. There are many emotions and feelings that accompany love. Affection, care, concern, attraction, contentment, and trust, just to name a few. But self-sacrifice is at the core and is the foundation. A parent who gives up sleep to change and feed a newborn child shows love. A spouse who serves the other, even when they're exhausted after a long day of their own, shows love. Hey, how about this one? A brother or sister who spends their own money on a sibling's Christmas present. <laughs> that shows love. John will say in just a few verses that God is love. It's not just something he does. It's what he is. It's his very nature. And since he is love, all he does is marked by and springs from love. This makes Christianity stand out from and above all other religions. 
The love of God pours out onto the canvas of his creation. The love of God that sent his son for you. Now, here's what we need to understand. This love story is not just about you or for you. It's meant to be lived through you. John continues, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The greatest proof of God's love in you is God's love displayed through you. It comes full circle and love is made complete. Love defines our relationship with God and it dictates how we should treat others. I should be loving to you. You should be loving to me. We should be loving to others. Not because any of us are worthy of it, but because God has loved us in our unworthiness. I remember a, a song sung in churches when I was young that said, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Are we? Are we known by our love? As a follower of Jesus, you are called to give love to the world. This is at the heart of, of what Jesus said to the religious teacher who asked him what the greatest commandment is. Jesus replied, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is to be carried into loving others. They're not two separate commands, but a continuation of one into the other. One flows out from the other. Imagine the impact that, that Blue Oaks, this community of faith, could have if you and I let God fill us with his unconditional redemptive love, a love that pursues the unlovable, the, the irritable, the socially awkward, the outcast, the haves and have-nots, the, the upper class and those with no class. It's a love that says, I am willing to love you no matter what? This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. As I thought of this over the last week, I began to see a pattern that becomes a model for you and me. In demonstrating his love, God opened his heart to a world lost in sin and opened his hands by sending his one and only son. In the Christmas story itself, Joseph opened his heart to Mary after learning she was pregnant and opened his hands to take her as his wife rather than end their engagement. Jesus, in coming to this world, opened his heart to, to sin-broken people and opened his hands on the cross as our atoning sacrifice. 
as one who is loved, how do you show that same love? Open your heart and open your hands. First, open your heart. I want you to do something with me. Clench your fists nice and tight. Now, now wrap your arms around your chest and, and sort of hunch your shoulders down. If you're with someone right now, just turn away from them. How does this feel? It closed off, shut off, unapproachable. This is a closed heart. I can tend to get into this position internally and sometimes externally. My wife challenged me recently when I was acting with a closed heart towards someone, telling me, you're, you're turning your body away to shut them off. <laughs> Guilty! She was so right. Closed hearts can result from, from something done to you that, that hurts you or, or has left you unwilling or unable to love. Or it could be the result of a self-seeking heart that's, that's more concerned with itself than with others. Maybe your heart is closed because of a judgmental attitude towards others. They don't think, believe, act, live, look, vote, or believe like you. Whatever it might be, when you're like this, you can't give love. God loved you so that you could give love away. And it begins with an open heart. So open your heart. Second, open your hands. Clench your hands in, in, into fists one more time. What do you feel? Is your heart beating a little faster than usual? Do, do, you, do you feel the muscles in your forearms working to keep your hands closed? Is, is your, your neck or your shoulders tensing up? Maybe your fists are so tight, you can feel your fingernails pushing into your palms. Closed hands are a position of selfishness, anxiety, worry, fear. What's mine is mine and I'm holding on to it. It's interesting that in the Christmas story, the Magi arrive at the home of Joseph and Mary and present their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the, the then toddler Jesus. They came giving, hands open in an act of love. It's hard to love another when you're holding on to what is yours. Now, unclench your hand and rest the palms of your hands on your knees facing up. What do you feel now? Relaxed, open, calm, peaceful, maybe a little vulnerable? Open hands extend to others in welcome, in acceptance. They wrap around another in an embrace that communicates you are loved. It says to someone in need, I'll help. What's mine is yours. St. Augustine was, was asked, what's loving your neighbor looks like? And he answered, love has the hands to help others. You see, living with open hands demonstrates a willingness to engage others rather than hold them at a distance. And when your hands are open, truly open, you can hold them out to God fearlessly and to others lovingly. So 
This is the love story of God for you. This is the wonder of love at Christmas time. Anne Voskamp, in her book, The Greatest Gift, writes, Our God, who cradles whole galaxies in the palm of his hand, whom the highest heavens cannot contain, he folds himself into our skin, and he uncurls his newborn fingers in the cradle of a barn feeding trough, and we are saved from ourselves. We are saved from our loneliness because God is love and he can't stand to leave us by ourselves to ourselves. That is the message of Christmas. We need a Messiah for unto us a child is born. God can't stay away. This is the love story that has been coming for you since the beginning. Love had to come back for you. Love had to get to you the love that has been coming for you since the beginning. This is the truest love story of history, and it's his story, and it's for you. Let's pray. God, I pray right now uh, for all of us that, that whether um, we feel close and loved by you or rather we feel distant and unloved, that at some point today, tomorrow, over the next week, there would be a sense of your all-consuming, unending, undeserved love as your children, as your son, as your daughter. And as those, Lord, seeking to live a, a Christ-centered life, may that love then flow out of us to those that surround us, not just the easy to love, but Lord, those that are, that are challenging, but those that need to feel the love of their creator, God. Lord, thank you for sending your son for us and we celebrate his birth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. And um, we hope to see you on Sunday soon.